Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation to be along. I want to read just a couple more verses from Mark, um, Mark chapter 3, and verse 22, just down to, to verse 27. Uh, Mark chapter 3, um, 22. And the stri- scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided and cannot stand, he is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Amen. I'm going to continue on the series you're doing in Mark at the moment. And um, we're looking um, this morning at Jesus and his authority over the spiritual world, over Satan and over demons. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge topic. Um, and I, I do wonder, is our understanding of, of Satan and demons probably more influenced by Hollywood and, about, and, and TV series than is it about, actually, from the, the Bible itself? And I think it's probably true for, for, for probably many of us. We're certainly influenced by it, at least anyway, in, in our thinking. Also, I think, too, Christians fall into probably one of two camps. For, for some Christians, it's something they never think about ever. They never give it a second thought um, that, 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 that Satan or, or demons have any impact on, on their life or, or, or on this world. And then the, the other group, the other extreme, are those who see demons behind every corner and every turn in the road. And every, everything is, is demonic. Everything um, is, is, is spiritual um, evil influences um, on their lives. So let me begin with, with, with two illustrations or, or, or two, two reflections, personal reflections, and before I go any further. Thinking back to after my son Matthew died, one of the things that people said to me over and over again, well-meaning Christians, a number of them would come along and said that what had happened here Matthew's death was that, that Satan had somehow entered into our home and entered into Matthew's mind. And that, that is what happened. That, that is why he died. In fact, even one person came alongside and, and said, and pointed to some ornaments we had on, on our, our, our shelf and, and said, look, those ornaments were, were made by people who are um, satanic background. And you, when you brought them into the home, you allowed Satan into your home. Now, as you can imagine, when you're in the middle of grief, that starts to mess with your head hugely. And, and, and I, I wrestled with that, and, and I thought about that, and over, over a period of probably months and, and into the year, after I, 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 I read, I, I thought from time to time, came back, kept coming back to it, kept questioning it, kept, kept looking at it back and forth. And eventually, I came to the conclusion that they were completely wrong, that they, they were unbiblical in what they, they were saying. 
And the conclusion I arrived at could, could be summarized like this. That when Jesus was, was on earth, when he ministered, he, he worked in, in three main, main areas. One was when people were sick, he healed the sick people. When people were possessed by an evil spirit, he cast the evil spirit out. And when people needed salvation, he saved them. And those three areas are, are, are three separate things that he did. For some people, when he healed them, he also saved them. Some people who had evil spirits, he cast the evil spirit out, and then he also saved them. And for some people who didn't have an evil spirit and who, who weren't sick, well, he saved them as well. But they're, they're three separate areas. And, and that, that's where, where, where I came to. And I think it's so helpful to, to separate those areas of, of Jesus' ministry. Reflection number two, or illustration number two, is this. During my late teenage years, I, at that time, was going to the Presbyterian Church. My dad was an elder in the Presbyterian Church. And um, our minister, he came around to visit us. He came around to see my dad. And I, I, I was there at the time. He sat in, in the home and he, he talked. And as he talked, he, he shared with us that, that over the past few months, He'd been waking up in the middle of the night. And the only way he could describe it was that this evil presence in the room. And he, said he, he, he prayed, and as he said, as I prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it went. And he came around to talk to my dad and some the other elders said, will you please pray for me at this time? And what had transpired was that there was a group... An occult group or a satanic group had moved into the area, and they were praying against him and against his ministry. And, and, and as the, the, the elders prayed and as he prayed, that, that the whole thing stopped. The whole thing, that, that, that experience that they had stopped. Now, and, and I say that, can, can I say that, I mean, we're talking about a, a Presbyterian minister here who's extremely conservative in his theology. He, he, he was not given to, to wild fancy and to um, weird ideas. He was extremely conservative in his theology. And I, and I share the, the, those two illustrations for one reason. And I want to summarize them in one sentence. And the sentence is this. It says, do not underestimate the power of Satan. And please do not overestimate the power of Satan, or the power of demons either. But know this, that Jesus is all-powerful. He's absolute authority over the spiritual world, over all things, over all dominions, over all kingdoms. He is on the throne. And nothing, no one can change that. He is absolute power, absolute authority. I want to just maybe, as we, we think about this area, to make a few sort of general statements about, about, about Satan, and in doing so, more importantly, about the, the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority and authority of, of God. The first thing I would say is this, that, that when it comes to speaking about Satan, Satan is not all-powerful. He does have some power, but he's not all-powerful. He's already been defeated. 
And he knows he's defeated, and he acts like a defeated foe, and he keeps fighting to, to the bitter end. And his goal is, is, is to, to seek to, to destroy, to tempt. And yet, in saying that, he cannot destroy the, the Christian. He cannot destroy the believer who's eternally secure in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that God is powerful. The demons know that God is, is all-powerful. But nonetheless, he, he is dangerous. And one, one of his, his main ways that he attacks, particularly when it comes to speaking about us as, as believers, is that he, he tempts us and he accuses us. In Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11, says the accuser, Satan, the accuser of our brothers, has been thrown down. He's been defeated. And he accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And, and, and one thing that he does, he's defeated, but he accuses us of past sin. Leaves us feeling guilty. But he is not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. The second thing I'll say as well is this, that he is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. God, however, is omnipresent. He can be everywhere. Hence, so when, when Mark writes and he, he speaks about evil spirits and demonic attack and, and so on, he, the reason he, he speaks that way is because Satan can only be in one place at one time. It's, it's the, the demons that do his bidding. It's the demons that possess the, the man in Mark 5. It's the demons that possess the man in, in Mark 1, um, 23. And they act on behalf of, of Satan. And so I'm sure you've heard, heard that phrase from time to time. People have said, haven't heard it recently, but Satan made me do it. Well, actually, that is completely unbiblical. Satan didn't make you do anything. No, it's your own evil desires that, that, that lead you to sin. It's your own evil desires that, that let you down. Satan can be only at one place at, at one time. Um, but his demons do his bidding. Ephesians 5 verse 12 summarizes this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so there seems to be this, this hierarchy among the, the, the demonic powers that um, Satan rules over. And those people who've opened their lives, um, involved in the occult to Satan, um, uses them to... Um, um, to, to do his bidding and to work his purposes out. And so, as I said earlier, that it is the demons that do the work. Hence, Mark 5, that this legion of demons within the, this man that, that, that causes him um, not only to, to live this, this horrendous lifestyle, but um, torment him time and time again. And so, Satan is not omnipresent. Our God is. He, he's omnipresent. And we, we, we can know him as a believer in our life and our heart through his Holy Spirit who indwells us. We, we praise and we worship him um, for that. The, the third thing um, that I'll say um, about Satan is that he is also not all-knowing. However, God, he is all-knowing. I mean, God knows your thoughts. God knows your life. God knows every aspect of, of who you are. God knows all about you. Satan and his demons do not know your thoughts. They cannot read your mind. 
Now, what they, they have been, they've been observing generations after generations for all, all time. They, they, they know how, how, one sense generally, how, how we think and how we act and how we work. They, they know how to tempt, they know how, how to accuse and all of that. Um, but they cannot know your mind and your thoughts. But listen very carefully. As a Christian, you're protected. You cannot be possessed by a demon. The only person that can be possessed by a demon is someone who is unsaved and opens up their life to satanic things. I mean, Mark 1, verse 23 and onwards, and Mark 5, that passage that we, we read earlier, where Jesus cast out the demons. Notice he casts out the demons out of people who have no thought for God. Unsaved people, unbelievers. I mean, God's Holy Spirit is never going to share a body with a demon. It, it can't, cannot happen. Either you're a child of God, or else you are a child of Satan, or a child of wrath, as, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, um, verse um, 1, 2, and 3. And as a child of God, know this, that your past, your present, and your future is secure and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who you are. You, you are, are, are protected. Satan cannot get in, inside your head, nor your body, nor your home, nor your possessions, nor can his demons. So we, we want to be, be biblical, not superstitious, uh, about our, our thinking on, on this topic. We want to be discerning. We want to check everything that you hear from the, the Bible. And remember, the bottom line is this. As a believer, you're covered and you're protected by the resurrected power of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're covered. I mean, Revelation 12, I read a moment ago, verse 11. Um, this is how, how the saints in Revelation, they, they deal with the accusation. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Fourth thing I'll say is that, that Satan is involved in spiritual attack. I, I don't believe, and somebody can correct me if, if you disagree with me, I don't mind in, in this one being corrected in this, um, but I, I don't believe that he's primarily interested in the physical. And, and I, I, I believe the reason that there, there's disease in this world is not because of demonic attack, but I believe the reason that there's disease in this world is because we live in a broken world. And it happened at the fall. Adam and Eve sinned and, and sink him into the world. Everybody born um, from Adam and Eve, they, by their nature, they are, are sinful. We, we are all sinful by our nature. But when, when sin entered the world, so did death and so did disease. And, and ever since then, death and disease have been, been around. They, they, they come to, to all people. Um, at all t at times, and, and none of us can, can escape that. And I don't think Satan is particularly worried ab about disease, and I certainly don't believe that when a Christian dies that, that Satan has won. In fact, I think the opposite is true. I mean, Jesus is victorious to bring the believer who, who's come in faith and trusted Jesus Christ for salvation home to be with him in heaven. I mean, Jesus' is salvation, he doesn't just save us, but he also sanctifies us. He also keeps us through this lifetime. He, he, he holds us and he, he brings us to, to that place where ultimately he glorifies us as he brings us home to be with him 
for all of eternity. And so, one says it's no benefit for Satan to destroy the body, particularly the body of, of, a, of a believer. So the reason that we have disease is because we live in a broken world. However, in saying that, Satan does destroy. Mark 5 shows the destructive power of Satan. Mark 5, verse 5. Night and day among the, the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Warren Wearsbury, in his commentary on Mark, he, he puts it this way as he talks about when Jesus cast the, 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 the legion of, of demons, of evil spirits, into the pigs. He, he says this, says, to Satan, a pig is as good as a man. In fact, Satan makes men into pigs. And when Satan takes and destroys, and his goal and is a very subtle one initially. I said, primarily this is spiritual. He focuses on on weakness, and he tempts, leads into sin. And as he seeks to get that person comfortable in sin and to get used to that that sin, the sin becomes takes hold more and more. And and people can go from a place where they say, "I will never ever do that," and very subtly their 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 conscience is numbed. And they get accustomed to sin, and they get convinced that sin is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Then they're hooked. Sin takes hold, and it has huge consequences. Obviously, eternal consequences if they're not saved. Um, but for somebody who is not saved and, and sin takes hold, sometimes those consequences can also be seen emotionally and, and physically as well. You think, think of this, this man here. I mean, the, the impact of, of his life. Um, he, he, he finds himself living away from everyone. And the impact of this completely destructive and, and, and destroying him. In, in a lesser way, you sometimes see it with, with people and they're, they're living with a huge level of guilt. Guilt of past sin. That guilt is, is, is weighing so heavy on them. It, it starts to weigh them down both emotionally then impacts them sometimes even physically as well. The, the, the huge consequence of... of, of, of of, of sin and, and of that destructive power of sin in our lives that, that Satan wants to bring us and wants to, to destroy us and yet know this. The antidote to guilt is forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we, we have has been won for us on the cross already. Christ has died and rose again. There, there is one who is all-powerful, one who is mighty, one who forgives, one who not only forgives but takes away the guilt. We don't have to live in, in that place of, 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 of guilt. We can know that we are forgiven, that we are made righteous, that, that, that God sees us as, as, as perfect and, and pure in his eyes. I mean, I, I love um, Psalm 103 and verse 12. It talks about as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. And that picture, Warren Wiesby in his comedy, in that verse, he, he talks about if God has moved our sin from us as, as far as the east is from the west. If you imagine God putting our sin in the east, and we're standing in the west, and God's standing in the middle. But when God looks at us, all he sees is us as, as perfect and pure. And when God looks at our sin, his back's to us, all he sees is our sin. So God cannot look at our sin and us at the same time. He sees us as righteous, as pure, as holy in his eyes. To the, the antidote. The, the solution is forgiveness. However, Satan loves to destroy. And his attack usually leaves us blaming 
other people instead of looking into our, ourselves. He wants us blaming others rather than repenting. Is the first trick, most frequent trick that he ever uses. I mean, Adam and Eve um, in the Garden of Eden, when, when sin enters the world, Adam blames God and Eve. In Genesis 3 verse 12, the woman who you give me, um, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. So what, what's, what's Adam doing there? He says, look, it's a woman's fault. But not just the woman's fault. God, you give me the woman. So it's also your fault as well. So he blames Eve and he blames God. And then Eve says, no, it's the serpent's fault. But we need to, to recognize that what we need to be doing is, is coming, recognizing our sin and repenting. See, that this is not hopeless here. Jesus is a powerful savior. And, and there is hope. Now, as I say... <laughs> I, I, I share, share all of that, and I was almost going to say there by way of introduction. It's not, it's not by, there's, there's not that more, much more to come. Don't be panicking. Um, as I say all of that, let, let me bring you to, to Mark 3, um, verse um, 22 to 27, just to, to pull all of this um, together. And this, you, you can see just the power and the authority of Jesus over Satan, demons, and the spiritual world. What we, we have, this little short passage here, and I think it's a passage we often overlook, we tend to jump down a couple of verses below it and look, look, look at the, the, um, what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And we do, do a, a huge bit of question in around that. Um, I'm not, not going to go there this morning. Um, but simply to look at those couple of verses before that. The scribes have come from Jerusalem. Um, they're, they're hostile. They, they, they're, they're venomous against um, Jesus. Um, and they, they say, verse 22, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And um, they, they take this opportunity to say, look, he, he's, he's off Satan. He, he, he's off the devil himself. They see him cast out demons. And so they say, look, he must be one of them. And Jesus takes the opportunity then to speak about his kingdom, about his family, and about his power. And he, he does so by, by some short parables, three really short parables, a sentence each, the, the, these parables. The first parable he, he he shares is one about disunity within the kingdom that will cause it to fall. And he does so to illustrate the statement that he makes later, that Satan will never cast out Satan, verse 26. You know, it's, it's common sense. You know, if an army from a kingdom is going to fight another army, well, if that first army decides that they're going to fight among themselves, they're going to attack each other. Well, even before they, they, they reach the battlefield, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to destroy themselves. So it's common sense that armies don't attack themselves. Otherwise, they are defeated. That's his first parable. The second parable is one of a family in a house. And if a family is to remain strong, well, again, they must not turn on each other. They must be united to each other. And I've got a brother and a sister, Keith and Alison. Now, if I was to take every opportunity that I had in my life to criticize them, to tell you all the horrible things they've ever done, to tell you all the flaws that they have, to talk about behind their back and, talk, and tell them to their faces that they're the most horrible people in this world. If I, I was to tear them apart verbally, constantly, well, actually, after a very short time, we wouldn't be a family much longer. We, we may have the same parents, but we wouldn't exist as, the family, as a family. The Cooper family would be no more. And Jesus tells these first two parables about, about a, a kingdom and, and about a, a family. And he does so to defend himself from the scribes. 
He said, I am neither from Satan, nor am I of Satan, nor am I possessed by Satan. The evidence is clear. I'm attacking Satan. I am the one who defeats Satan. Which leads on to, to the third parable that he, he tells, and it shows the extent of the attack. Verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. And he states that not only is he opposed to Satan, but he's also stronger than Satan. I mean, Satan acknowledges is, is, a, is a strong man. But he says, I am the, the strongest of all. I, I am the one who, who, who binds Satan. I go into the house or into the family of Satan. And as I, I go in there, I, I rescue people from the family of Satan. To put it another way, the, the surprising source of Jesus' kingdom, the surprising source of Jesus' family is that they are all people who have come from the family of Satan. People he's rescued, people he's delivered, people who's, who's come from, from Satan's family. And now that they're his family, he loves them, he protects them, and he cares for them. This new family that Jesus speaks about, and, and if you go on to the end of the chapter, he talks about not having a father and mother. Why? Because people who are his, his, his family are those who do the will of God. The surprising source is that he's plucking people from under the nose of Satan, plucking them out of the house of Satan, from those who spent their lives ruled by Satan, living by Satan's ways, and now they are delivered. And if you like, the, the greatest demonstration of Jesus' power over Satan, over demons, over the spiritual world, is that he is able to take those that have no thought for God and save them by his grace and transform their life and their heart and adopt them into his family. And so it's no surprise when you know that Jesus is the strongest man of Mark 27. He's the strongest, but the demons know it. Therefore, it makes sense that the demons say in Mark 1 verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Or in Mark 5, verse 7, the demon in the crowd with a loud voice says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I endure you by God. Do not torment me. These demons, they potentially know more about Jesus than maybe we do as believers. They know more about Jesus, certainly, than those who have no thought of God, those who are unsaved. They know this. They know that he's the Holy One. That he is perfect in all of his ways. They, they, they know that Jesus has the, the power to, to speak and things happen. He's the first word and he's the last word. First word in creation, the last word in, in, um, in judgment. They, they, they know that. They, they know that, that Jesus is all powerful. He is self-sufficient in his ways. There is no one that tells him what to do or enables him to do anything. He's able to do it in his own might, his own power, his own authority, his, his own ability. He is sufficient and all-powerful. He has the right to save and the right to destroy. This is Jesus. And this, demons know this. And, and we must know this too. And so when the, Jesus speaks, demons listen. 
He's over all kingdoms, all power, all authority. He has unquestionable might and power. And nothing, no one can stand before that or be compared to him. And so we must recognize this morning that we should not tremble before Satan and the demons. We should tremble before Jesus. We should tremble before him in awe and reverence. We, we should bow the knee before him in repentance and seek his cleansing, his forgiveness, his work of grace in our life and our heart. And, and then as we, we do, as we, we tremble before him in repentance, we then tremble before him in worship and in rejoicing. Recognizing that in our weakness, he is, he is the, the strongest man. He is the all-powerful one. He has, has all authority. And rejoice in the fact that we're saved by his grace and his power. As Paul writes to the people of God in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 5, you were dead in trespass and sin, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It says you once were children of wrath. But now, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But what Jesus, what Paul are saying, that you're either part of God's family or else you're part of Satan's family. You're either part of God's family or else you're a child of wrath. And yet every time that someone is saved, every time that somebody turns in repentance and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, Jesus has plundered them from the household of Satan. He's delivered them. He's the stronger one. He's the strongest one. And on the cross, Satan was defeated. He is tied up. He cannot hold you. Yes, he can deceive you, but he cannot hold you. And for any one of us who are not yet saved, we can turn to him for salvation this morning and know his forgiveness and his cleansing in our life and our heart. Jesus has all authority and all power. And you too, because of his power, because of his forgiveness, because of his death and resurrection, you too can know what it is to belong to his family, to faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he, he welcomes us into his family. As he welcome, welcomes us in, he sustains us, he holds us, he sanctifies us, and ultimately he glorifies us. He, he keeps us to all of eternity. What, what a, a wonderful saviour. One who's almighty, all-powerful. Turn to him, worship him, rejoice before him this morning. Amen.